Hey, what is going on, everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario. It looks like we are live right now. And uh, who am I joined by today? Uh, what's up? It's me again, of course. Paranoid Coder, Devin, whatever you want to call me. Back again. Happy to be here. We'll call you Paranoid Coder or Devin. I'll call you Devin because that's normally I think what Devin's I call fine. Anyways, but Devin's fine. I think that works out. Anyways, uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Doing fine. Uh, just another day in paradise. How about you? Oh. Awesome. I'm I'm doing well. You know, I'm just uh, I'm doing this podcast thing. Like, do you do you know anything about this? I don't know. I hope that you know about this because I, that's kind of what I was putting my faith in. I don't know anything about podcasts, to be honest. So, <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll we'll give this a shot. Okay. It'll be our first time. We'll do this together. All right, all right. I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll be trying this out. Anyways, uh, how's everyone doing here? Looks like we have a few viewers. And uh, for anybody that is new or you're listening to the pre-recorded versions, which we try and keep that in mind as well too. This is Mod Chat, a monthly modding podcast that uh, Devin and I do. Devin Paranoid Coder here, and um, this has been going on for a few years now. Devin is still a new co-host on here. Has been a, doing an awesome job, and he's uh, been on here for the past few episodes. So uh, looks like we have a Devin, we have a big list of topics this month, don't we? Yeah, man, it looks really good. Yeah, and hoping so. Yeah, hoping. and it seems it's good because we have a little bit of variety um, as compared to the last couple shows. So we're definitely keeping things going, changing it up, uh, staying on top of all the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're trying to. So it's interesting as well. I think this worked out a pretty good time too because like we normally keep track of a list of things and I, there's been a lot of stuff that has come out in just the past few days prior to this episode being released. Yeah, no, I would totally agree like as we were kind of preparing for uh, this podcast, it seemed like stuff was still rolling out and we were messaging each other like what? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So if anybody's listening to this a little bit later, like a few days later, they're like, this happened, this happened. It's like, look, this we're recording this the night of September 20th. So we try. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do our best. Yep. But yeah, anyways, this uh, this first topic here, this is uh, we have a lot of things related to the Vita. And uh, I guess this is actually kind of a new old topic. But um, Devin, would you like to take this one or should I take this one here first? I can start it off for sure. Um, sure. It's funny because I actually remember listening to Mod Chat before when you guys talked about this. Um, I can't remember what episode, but I, I believe you guys uh, had one on this. Uh, the Cobra Blackfin, right? Yes, yes, we did. Um, so it seems like we have a bit of a leak from one of the main developers, hackers on the project um, that was actually contracted out to do this work, I believe. Um, he basically got the shaft on the whole entire deal. He was supposed to be paid and um, believe he was supposed to be paid on delivery of the product, but the product didn't sell all too well. And now the uh, creator of the project, I guess, is not going to pay him because of that. Has made excuse after excuse and it's just gone on and on. Exactly. So for anybody who, and I'll even share the uh, the article that we were really covering on this as well, but um, for anybody who is unaware of this, uh, now at this point, you know, if you have a PS Vita or you follow the Vita scene at all, um, really what you need at this point is a Vita on firmware 3.6. If you have one that's lower, you need to upgrade it to 3.6 and you can install Hinkaku and even put Enzo on there. So you have a permanent custom firmware on boot, so to speak. Uh, well, prior to that, maybe like a year prior or so, 
there was this thing from Team Cobra called the Blackfin. And uh, as Devin was saying on this, he ended up, uh, the developer ended up uh, speaking with uh, Wololo. And they are, Wololo is the person who broke the news on this, but apparently he has about 75, well, 76 gigabytes worth of data that he can leak out. And he's done some leaking already. And he's pretty much said, hey, if I get paid for my work, awesome. Uh, if not, then the leaks are going to just start coming out. So he's given out a few, like he's put out a few things like this Vita card x-ray, which is, you know, pretty self-explanatory and a few other tools that could be useful. Um, I say could be because they're good that they're out there. I can appreciate that. Um, although the only thing is most of the main Vita developers have come out and said, this is cool, but we've done all this stuff and have actually exceeded everything here um, for free, and we didn't have to contract with any sort of company. We just put this out ourselves. So they weren't bringing any less value to it, aside from a few that were just saying, you know, like just, you know, slandering it for being a piracy device, which in, in truth, that's really what it was. Like, Devin, do you remember many details on the Blackfin? Uh, I remember a few, but it had something weird to do with some kind of game sharing, if I remember right. Yeah, uh, so from the way I understand it, and I talked with them um, at the time, like th there's very few people in the world that have it. So it was a bad product, and like you said, it didn't sell well. Um, but one person, Pixel Butts, ended up picking it up, and uh, he unboxed it, he reviewed it, he actually ended up returning it and really fought for his return on that because it was just such a bad device. Um, but what ended up happening with the thing was, from what I understand, it was this black-looking device, and you could pop up to seven Vita cartridges in there. And then you can dump the ISO. So that was the cool thing. You could dump the games on there. It was like one of the first ways you could really publicly do it. Um, but you dump them. You have to upload them onto a server in your respective region. And then you have a game card with a micro SD card inside of it that goes into the Vita. And you have to connect to this thing and be super close. Like this like magnifying glass right here. You pretty much have to be here. And like in my hands is where the Vita is at. So... At this point, like it's it wasn't the best usage of it at all, and it just wasn't working very well, unfortunately. Um, so in short, it was just a really badly, poorly designed, low quality product, which is why it came very briefly. Like it was hard to even find one, and by the time people really found out that it was for sale, you couldn't buy one. Yeah, no. Um, I remember hearing about it, and it seemed kind of interesting, kind of hopeful, but it definitely didn't seem to catch on uh, mm -hmm. to the wider audience. Um, you commented a little bit ago that uh, kind of other hackers and developers in the scene have said that they're you know, way past this already, and I have no doubt about that. But it is interesting um, that this was only a couple of megabytes, maybe a few, of uh, data that was dumped in this. And mm -hmm. claims to have 76 gigabytes worth. I really wonder what else we would see in that. So I think it was even mentioned that a lot of it is logs and stuff, and there's just things that for the average end user are probably not going to do anything, and even for developers might be kind of eh. But there are still some important tools on there. Some of them, I don't know if there's any Sony property. I doubt there is, um, but there might be some stuff that we don't know about, some stuff that might explain a few extra things on there. Um, so there could be some benefits to it. I'm not doubting that. But um, just, you know, the stuff that's come out so far, um, it's been helpful, but also kind of more helpful just as a preservation tactic, I guess you can say. Sure. Um, 
Now, oh, what was it? You you looking for some of the article? Yeah. Um, if I find it, I'll, I'll I'll come I'll come back to it. But um, I don't know. It, it will be interesting. Oh, that's right. He said that um, the, these rest of the leaks, the rest of the however many gigabytes, is not guaranteed. From what mm-hmm. I remember, he basically is using this as kind of a two-part tactic. One is like, okay, if they're not going to pay me for my um, time and effort and everything, I'm going to release this to the community, but I'm also using this as a threat and only releasing some of it in hopes that they might pay me to stop um, leaking the rest of it. So there is real no guarantee that this is actually all going to come out, no guarantee when. So we'll see what happens with it, but from what I've seen, it does seem pretty legitimate. I have no reason to believe that this is not the developer of uh, this product. Right, and I'll even say this as well too, from what I'm seeing, I feel like that it's it, it's definitely beneficial to have whatever it might be there. Um, but even so, because um, he's using it as kind of a bargaining chip saying, hey, Cobra, if you want to stop this from happening, just pay me. I really doubt he's going to get paid for this. Uh, honestly, if it's been this long, if he did all the development, all the work on the tool, the tool was sold, and then you know, with the refunds and stuff that I was hearing about and just the lackluster support from it with... I don't even think the thing can really work anymore. Nobody can really verify that, unfortunately. Um, but just because of how quickly it crashed and burned, I really doubt that there's going to be anything from Cobra coming. In yeah, regards no, to this, at least. Either. Yeah. By the way, the I, I kind of had an unfinished thought earlier, but when I was explaining you know, how just the poor communication was with it, I think their shtick for saying that it wasn't a true piracy device was, yes, you have to... Like people would have to dump their own games, upload them to the Cobra servers, uh, but in order to play it, so like let's say Devin, you and I had some games. Um, if I, I think from what I understand, again, uh, the details on this were really weird because not that many people had it, and even the way they they did this really roundabout way of doing it. But from what I understand, like if I upload a game, you Devin could download it. Um, but it has to be authenticated somehow. So their idea was they were going to have a ton of people with black fins and they were all going to have seven games, like seven different games optimally on their systems. So at that point, then if you download one of my games in order to play it, somebody mainly me has to have that game cart in the uh, black fin itself and it has to be connected online. So you could authenticate it that way. And if I didn't physically have the card in there, you couldn't play the game because there was no way your system could authenticate it. Right. Yeah. That was the game sharing element about it, which seems I don't know. I think I, I don't often think about how few people actually purchase these projects compared to you know the total users out there. That's something that I feel like would need to be very very popular to succeed. Very mm-hmm. foolproof. Work on every version. I, I I just don't see how that could ever really succeed. And it it wasn't going to honestly. It was a niche product. It was weird with how it worked because it was honestly. I feel like the reason why it wasn't a straight up download this ISO played on your Vita is because the development team probably did not get to that point, which can segue into other stuff that we'll be talking about here, other things that are related to that. But if they had the 
if they found a way that you could either install the game or just easily pop it on without doing authentication or any of that stuff, um, then I think it would have worked out a lot better, at least for Cobra and for any consumers that bought it and they want to just, you know, play their games all in one thick thing. Um, but I feel like they kind of just did this half-assed device because that's about as far as they could get. Right. They probably had some insight, some start, some proof of concept, and thought they could run with it and make some cash. That's where it gets you. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, uh, next topic? Absolutely, man. So kind of what we were talking about, like segueing into that, there's actually two releases we uh, wanted to talk about. Uh, one of them being, I'm kind of just looking on my other screen here, but uh, no NPDRM. This is for the Vita. And another thing for the Vita is Virtual Game Cart or Virtual GC. Uh, otherwise, that also might be known as PSV Game SD. Uh, now, for these two tools, they have pretty much kind of set this standard now for the Vita community. So uh, for anybody who is trying to play dumped games or whatever it might be, um, there's been two ways of playing games at this point. Um, either you have a dump from Vitamin or you have a dump from uh, my, I think my dump or my dump game tool or something. I never used any of the my stuff. Um, but those were the two ways of dumping your games. Uh, they had their own positives and negatives and all that stuff, but uh, the exciting thing about these two is, first off, with no NPDRM, uh, what you're able to do is now you're able to really play any type of game, especially digital games. Um, you can dump any game as long as it is compatible on 3.6 or lower, and you can play it. Uh, there were several games that had restrictions with being played, um, restrictions with being dumped that prevented, you know, dumping from happening. And the way this ended up bypassing that is it actually creates a fake license. Um, so it can play games that are encrypted because these other two, from what I understand, like my and vitamin, they would end up decrypting the game. Uh, but what this does, it still allows you to play encrypted games, but when it does the install and when the game boots up and everything, if you have this plugin, the no NPDRM plugin available, uh, it will generate a fake license for the game and you can play it on your system. When it comes to virtual game cart, uh, this one, I guess for me, it looked more exciting, um, but this one allows you to dump any physical cartridge. Uh, this is also another problem before where there were a few cartridges that could not be dumped for various reasons. Um, either they had some type of restriction with the code or with the game itself. Um, or another thing could have been uh, that it required a higher firmware. So unfortunately, if you have a game that requires a firmware higher than 3.6, you won't be able to play it. But if you have a physical version of it, you can now dump it. And what it does is this does a complete dump of the cartridge itself into PSV format, uh, which the developers have said, hey, PSV should now be the standard for preserving games, essentially meaning that we now have true ROMs, so to speak. Like, you know, Game Boy Advance has GBA, Game Boy has GB, um, Sega has .md, I believe that's what it is. And those are actual ROM cartridge dumps. Uh, the entire cartridge is dumped off, uh, even any type of header data or anything else. It's not just uh, the game itself, like only the game contents, which might require some other things, which is where some other issues were had before. Um, but Devin, you yourself, have you had a chance to look at this at all? Yeah, I have. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong at any point here, but from what I believe, the virtual GC produces um, complete one-to-one -one dumps of the game card about as whole as we can 
similar to an ISO or some other formats like that that we've had uh, in the past. Um, like I think you've mentioned, it's, it's going to be the best way to preserve these long term because it is a complete uh, dump. Um, you mentioned that it does dump game cards. Sounds like Virtual GC does not dump digital content currently. No. Well, right. Well, no NP DRM does. Um, so there is a little bit of a difference here. Um, obviously, you would have to. Uh, I believe you have to have the dump or the game card for your dump on Virtual Game Card, or is that incorrect? Uh, well, to dump the actual game card, you do have you do have to have the real game card, and then you run virtual game cards to dump it. Uh, but then to play it, no, you just need to have it on your uh, memory card. Uh, right now, at the current iteration, unfortunately, you cannot use the SD to Vita adapter, um, but you can use the uh, ver like the actual memory card for the Vita itself and play the game on there. Uh, so the way it works, I've actually dumped a game; it worked just fine. I popped in my game card. I uh, loaded up virtual game card, hit dump, and it took, I don't know how long because I just went to bed, but I was able to dump it. And then the next morning I tried it out where I just exited out of all that. I took out the game cartridge, loaded up the app. I was able to find the game that was on my, uh, uh, that was on my memory card, mount it, then exit out of the app and automatically recognized it as a game card, installed it to the Vita, and I was able to boot it up with no issues. Very nice, yeah. I don't have a Vita uh, personally, so I haven't been able to experiment with this all. So I'm glad that you got a chance to um, get your hands on it. How was the? Did you get to try no NP DRM as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I got to try that, and even for that, it was easy enough as well too. Um, because once you have your game dump and stuff all sorted, you just take it, and it depends on what you might be using. But again, I was using just the standard Vita memory card for this. Um, you literally just copy and paste from wherever it is. Like it could be your computer, it could be a SD card if you're using the adapter. Um, just copy and paste it into the app directory. Use Vita Shell for that, and then you can go and refresh your home screen. And once your home screen is refreshed, you still need that. Um, what is it, that uh, plugin available there. Uh, but once your home screen is refreshed, you can exit out, you can load up the app, and then if you load it up and it's never been booted before on your system, a license will be generated and it will just play normally. Uh, and then if you don't have the uh, NoNP DRM plugin uh, available on boot, like if it's not loaded in, uh, when you try and run it, it's just it's not going to work. So it will give you an error. And same with a uh, virtual game cart. Um, because I tried that as well, too, trying to unmount the game and playing it, which, of course, was not going to work. But it did straight up tell me you need to put in the game cartridge for this. So they both work very well. I know there's going to be a lot more development on them. Um, I was even telling Devin prior to the show that back in the... Because he was saying, you know, compare this to an ISO or so. And back in the PSP days, now firmware is... Custom firmware on the PSP is nice enough, and it has been for a while, where you can literally just copy and paste a ISO into the ISO directory. And then you load it up in games, and it's there. Uh, a long time ago, what you had to do is you had to put your ISOs in a directory, but you had to open up an application. And then it would bring up a simple menu. You pick the ISO you want to mount, and then you mount it, and you play it that way. Uh, it was kind of janky, but that's all that was available. And virtual game cartridge is the same way, except not nearly as janky. Like, it actually works really, really well. But it's just very simplistic at its core, um, at least when it, when it loads up like this, because it's a... It's not a pretty looking app by any means. It's just like, it's just a little bit of text. You pick what you want. It's very simple menu, and then you can exit out of it. But yeah, I mean, it's not really a bad thing. It works well. 
does one job and one job only, so can't really mm-hmm. complain about it too much. Yeah, uh, I think the the main thing on this is though, uh, although that's better for physical games and preserving and such, and we do have a official format to go by now, which is great. Uh, the only thing is uh, PSV, uh, if, I guess for the end user, it's going to be a little rougher to use, of course, um, as I've mentioned, compared to no NPDRM. And also it's going to take up more space because this is a complete dump cartridge as opposed to only the game partition itself. Uh, so really, in my opinion, if you are a Vita user, you should probably just put both plugins on there just in case. But better for end users would be no NPDRM. Uh, better for actual dumping and future preserving and all that stuff, which is still going to be needed, uh, would absolutely be um, virtual game cards. Right. And since they are two different formats, uh, I feel like there is, I don't want to say a competition going to be between them, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they're not inter- uh, interchangeable, right? They're not the same formats. Um, well, I think what you can do from, uh, and I haven't tested this myself at least, I know you can't convert, you know, no NPDRM, at least at this point from what I've seen, I don't believe that you can convert that over to a PSV file just because there wouldn't really be much of a point in that. And then also at Mm -hmm. the same time, you don't have a cartridge to begin with on there. So there's nothing to really verify the dump with. Uh, But when it comes to... um, the game cartridge, like a virtual game cart, uh, from what I was seeing from the developer, you can extract that and play it through a different method. So that's extractable if you don't want to just, you know, mount the uh, ISO, or not the ISO, the PSV file. Right. So there's definitely ups and downs, but it'll be interesting to see how that kind of matures and where that ends up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I'll even load it up on screen here, but uh, if you're if anyone's looking on screen, this is actually the uh, uh, Vita Dumper comparison that is on the page for this, and it just kind of shows all the benefits and just what each can do. So really, you know, all of them can dump physical games, so actually no NPDRM can dump physical games, and that's fine if you want to do that. But um, the main things are here, you know, as we said, with uh, Virtual Game Cart, you can keep all the original data. That's the true way of preserving it. Uh, but you're not able to get your digital games, DLCs, any sort of updates. It's just the actual cartridge itself. Um, and then, you know, anything for higher than 3.6, that's the nice benefit as well. I like that it just does a actual dump of the cartridge. It doesn't have to have it booting, but you can dump it on any sort of thing. Uh, but as you can see, both these are comparable, and they have their positives and negatives. And then really for Vitamin and my dump tool, um, the developers behind this, they just said, hey, just nuke any releases that were out before. No NPDRM and, you know, PSV game SD or virtual game card. This is what we should be using now. Right. Yeah, I did read uh, quite a few developers kind of talking about that. Um, I guess one other thing which was implied, but uh, maybe worth pointing out, uh, a big difference would be the fact that it looks like with a no NPDRM, you can install a number of titles all on the home menu that you can launch at any time. While with virtual GC, you can only have one loaded at a time. Exactly. So that, that is a big distinction there. Yeah. So that's why it's not, um, was it, it's not going to be um, available there as easily. Um, one thing I was actually slightly distracted by this question. Uh, somebody was asking in the comment section. Um, I got some more clarification on here, um, but they were asking uh, specifically, why hasn't anybody made uh, PS Vita mobile games dumpable? And that I actually don't know. 
And Devin, I would be shocked if you knew. Um, but that's a question I kind of want to pose to people. So if there's anybody in the comment section that can elaborate on that, that'd be great. Because um, Devin, in case you didn't know, um, well, do you, do you know about uh, the PS Vita mobile games at all? I don't. Uh, from what I saw, I only had a few of them. It seemed like they were mostly indie titles that were released on the store, and then uh, support for them stopped probably like a year or two ago. Um, I know it stopped some time ago, but yeah, we can dump digital games and physical games, but we can't dump those mobile PS Vita mobile games, which are digital games. So um, probably a different type of setup on there for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that. Um, I do hope that at some point in the near future we get there because if they're not being supported, um, can you still download them? No. Or, no. You know, it would be nice to preserve them while we can. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's similar uh, to yeah, it's similar to the uh, Xbox 360, where um, what happened? Uh, there was the Xbox Live indie game service on there, where there were a lot of indie games that were uploaded, um, and from what I know, they've either stop supporting it or they will stop supporting it here soon uh but same thing on that even if you um because back in the jtag rgh days i guess they're still around um but you know you could play games on demand games xcx ripped games xbox live arcade games dlc updates all that stuff uh, and you could do the indie titles as well too although it was different there was a few settings that you had to enable to allow those games to play i think one of them was fake live uh, in Dash Launch. If you did not have Fake Live enabled, then Xbox Live Indie titles would not boot up. Right. Your pup is desperately wanting attention. I figured so. We're just we're we're just in the same well different rooms just talking to <laughs> talking to these yeah, screens. That's okay, it's driving her nuts. It kinda of, she is very confused, but <laughs> sorry. I had to give her a little attention. Oh, no, it's all good. She she kept coming by me as well. Oh, yeah, she's coming over here. Hey, Lily. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody who's at least watching the podcast, they'll get like a bonus of, you know, a few scenes of puppy here and there, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess on here, um, I was going to say, since it's kind of Sony related as well, too, do you mind if I take this next topic, then you take the one after? No, go for it. Okay, I know we we can we can have a lot to say about the next that well the, not the next but the next next one here coming up. Yeah. Um, so one thing this is this will probably be short, although I have no idea just with the way we talk about things because we're so passionate about this stuff. Uh, no sarcasm on that either. Like I really still do enjoy modding, but uh, in short, this has actually been around for a while privately, from what I know. Um, now I don't have anything i don't have anything like this so if anybody's asking me for any private stuff i don't have it i'm in the same boat as the public um but if you have a playstation 4 on 1.76 firmware um it looks like soon we're going to have uh game booting on there of course like if you have a legitimate game on a disc you can boot it up and such on there um but they mean you can actually play a dumped game um even just not sugarcoating it at all, uh, piracy is going to be available on that. Um, so even when we're seeing it here, this is on Next Gen Update by Hydrogen. He was putting this out. Um, he was saying that piracy of the PlayStation 4 and Vita are now available. For Vita, it's been around for a while. It's been very public. Um, but when it comes to the PS4, this has been proven 
to be possible where you can take a game in short like this is what it is you can take a game that doesn't have a license and you can then you know decrypt it play it on the system um or you can do the same thing with a game on disc you can take a disc-based game dump it and play it without the disc um that's been shown to work on dev kits and test kits from what i've seen and has been proven a while ago and it's been circulated at least privately for retail systems for a good amount of time uh and right now while we're recording this the method has not been released yet to the public uh but it's supposed to be here soon yeah specifically with the TM in the tweet, which is always a good sign. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's hopeful, obviously. that It's definitely no more induced than we've had in, in the recent past. But, uh, yeah, as of right now, nothing's come out. Um, that tweet was specifically on September 17th um, by, I don't even know if I want to try and pronounce this person's Twitter handle. Rim is best one. Uh, I mean, that's their, that that's not their actual Twitter yeah. handle, but that's what they're displaying on there. I'm trying to get these pictures show. Oh, here we go. We got the actual pictures shown if we can. There we go. Yeah, and no, that's it. That's at least it showing on the PS4 itself. And it says right there, PlayStation 4 edition. So I can't really see all too much of what's going on on the right screen, but it definitely looks like a good amount of right. magic running there. The left screen. Yes, on the left screen. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I haven't studied it too much either myself. But, um, you know, I'm not really too familiar with this person on the scene, but it sounds like there's no reason to, you know, not believe that this is coming. Um, we've got a few facts here, question and answer items uh, on the bottom of the page. Um, only be available for 1.76, very specifically. Um, See, will it work on 3.55? Um, no, but if a kernel exploit goes live, it could. Um, you can get anything that's running 1.76 and below, and so on. So, I mean, sounds like it's coming soon. Yeah, soon. That's what we have. So, of course, there there will be... Uh, the, the thing that, I don't know, that I think is funny as well too there's going to be a good amount of people that are still going to want this on latest firmware like i have th this happens with anything like any sort of scene even if you annotate like exactly on this firmware which is why he put the frequently asked questions on there uh but i have several ps4 1.76 related homebrew tutorials and modding tutorials and such on here and um I always have like the the question on here like the comment that just like i tried this my ps4 is on insert latest firmware number here why didn't this work right um it is kind of nice that this is very explicit at least you can be as so, explicit I mean, as you want to and people aren't going to read it oh i understand <laughs> at least we don't have a range if this then that 1.76 that's it yeah so that's it all right so on here next topic uh devin i'll, I'll pass this on to you and i, I feel like we can we can talk quite oh. a bit about this. Yeah, this one's this one's juicy. Um, as soon as I heard about this, I was it really perked my interest. But um, some of the uh, developers and hackers in the Switch scene were digging into the Switch um, and posted something on Switch Brew about a application, a title called Flog, that was found. Um, turns out that this is actually a 
I mean, not necessarily, but for all intents and purposes, a virtual console title. It's a it's an NES game wrapped in an emulator, which we haven't seen on the Switch at all yet. And uh, it's residing inside the operating system. So every single Switch has this, technically. Um, it's not something that's easily accessible, but uh, you can do it. Um, I don't know if you want to get into the details on how you launch the thing, but... Uh, Oh, and one other thing to note, which is interesting, is they have implemented motion controls, I believe. I haven't tried this out for myself. Um, I hope to, but it is one of the first emulators like this we've seen that have actually implemented the motion controls in the game. Yeah, and I haven't tried it out either. Uh, I guess technically I could. I do have a way of doing that. Um, not through through Homebrew, actually, through the legitimate method, which I might or might not try. Um, but in short, what you can do on this is, um, as Dem was saying there, you can implement it. It has motion controls implemented, which this was really big because specifically, as he said, this was by all intents and purposes, a virtual console game. Uh, but most of the time for virtual console games, yeah, just they take the game, they pop it into an emulator, and then you can use whatever controller fits for that system on that game. The difference here being that, Devin, to my knowledge, I don't think this happened, but has has it ever happened where they did take a old emulatable game or an old ROM like this, but they wrapped it in an emulator, but they end up adding some type of new feature to it? Yeah, I don't want to say it's never happened um, officially. I'm pretty sure it hasn't. I've not even really heard about this in any kind of unofficial sense, like an emulator on the PC. It's just not something that has a focus, I don't think. But it's really neat and really makes me think a little bit differently about some of these classic games and how they could re-implement motion controls now and kind of bring new life to them. Absolutely. No, that'd be really cool. Um, so what ended up happening with that was um, kind of like going back to the uh, the Easter egg game here. That's what's been called here, so to speak. Um, the way that it has been played, people were, you know, they've been reverse engineering the system. They found this. Um, now those screenshots I did show earlier were from the uh, were from an unofficial way of getting the game to boot up. However, um, it was discovered that there is a official way to get it to boot. Uh, now, Devin, should should I share this, or would you like to share it? Um, you think you could queue up some screenshots at least so we can really get the message across? I can. Uh, I can. But yeah, so this hits real deep. Um, I wasn't. I'm just, water, just a warning to you all. I was not prepared to feel when looking up modding news. <laughs> yeah, no, it it really was. It was quite the way to start my day. I'll say that. <laughs> um, as a slight backstory. Golf is an NES game that was developed, um, I think, entirely by Iwata, programmed entirely by Iwata. Um, it was a really early NES title, and essentially, this exploit revolves around his death, the day he died. Um, so the only way to really activate this is under certain circumstances where it is, uh, the, the clock is set to the anniversary of his death, and you have to do a specific motion with the Joy-Cons. And as you can probably see on screen now, um, it is Iwata's classic um, hand gesture. I guess you would, you, know, you would call it. I'm not really sure if there's, <laughs> if there's an official name for the Iwata move here, but um, it's pretty intense, man. 
Mr. Mario, are you there? No, I was I was muted. No, but uh, I was saying that this is called the. Uh, I guess people have been dubbing it. I've been calling it at least the um, directly to you move. Yeah, that I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. So I guess in short, like even even with that, what you're supposed to do is once your system date is set to July 11th, you're supposed to take the Joy-Cons and do the directly, I don't even know if I'm doing it properly, but directly to you move takes about a second and a half to do. And when you do that, it will unlock it, which as Devin said, July 11th is Iwata's death. The reason why they put this on is because it was um, his game that he had programmed. It's been in every single Switch ever since Firmware 1.0. And for anybody who's listening now who is immediately trying to do it, you will probably not be able to access it. And the reason being is that they actually end up putting a caveat in there if you're trying to unlock it by normal means. If you've never ever connected your Switch online, which I'm sure most people listening here who own a Switch have connected online, you have to wait until July 11th. Just naturally, normally, you have to wait until July 11th of any year. Um, but if you have never connected your Switch online, you can then go in and just change the date to July 11th and try out that motion and unlock it that way without modding the system or doing any other backend stuff. Right. And I have seen one video where someone was able to unlock it. So if you do have a Switch that's never been on the internet, if you are trying this, um, give it a few tries. I saw a video of someone who tried it six or eight times, and um, he was doing the motion basically the same exact way every single time. And finally it worked. Finally it activated. The game popped up, and he started demonstrating it. But um, it doesn't look like it's very forgiving on the gesture. Does that make sense? Good. Yeah. No, just keep, hey, you, you know what? That's, that's the best tribute to water. You have to get it on point. You can't, you can't do a, excuse me, you can't do a sloppy, a sloppy directly to you. It has to be on point. I don't even think mine's that good. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely probably really rewarding when you do get it. I'm sure it's going to send the blood pumping and uh, I don't know. I can't wait till July 11th. And honestly, the first thing I thought about when I saw this is, man, the switch was out before July 11th. Yeah, so they gave us an opportunity. Would have done this here, right? They didn't spill the beans. They kept it under wraps. So, like, props to Nintendo, and uh, you know, props to people finding this. So, at least next year, July 11th rolls around, everybody's going to be, yep, doing the. <laughs> direct Honestly, to you thing. I'm I'm just I'm I'm really impressed at yeah, I mean at this point so the switch released in mid-March and it's just been over 5 months since release. So yeah, you know the secret's been cracked and everything. Um this is honestly my favorite uh my favorite easter egg I've seen built into a game system. I know other game systems have had different sorts of easter eggs, but this one of those things where it was it just took so many layers to uncover it because people immediately, of course, start reverse engineering the system and they said, oh, there's this emulator. There's a NES emulator or Nintendo emulator built into the Switch and it's called Flog. And then it went further. It's like, wait, it has the game Golf built into it. Why does it have the game Golf built into it? And then they said, okay, it seems to be a retooled version that has motion controls. So why the hell would Nintendo recreate or like remake partially remake or add new features to a old nintendo game and pop it into a emulator and leave it on every system are they going to get rid of it was it left there on accident like why is this here and then we see this is it, it's all a tribute to iwata 
in the end. It was all a tribute to him. And there is a way to naturally unlock it, and it has to do directly with him. Right. Um, it was interesting over a couple days to see all that unfold pretty much in the order you just described. Um, I remember hearing about the game. Like, is it accessible? We, we aren't sure. We don't think anyone can, like, directly launch it right now. And then taking those steps and uncovering the date. And I remember seeing something about it where it's like, we think it has something to do with July 11th. It happens to be Iwata's birthday. So somehow they, in the reverse engineering process, they realized that date and, like, put two and two together. They didn't guess Iwata's birthday. All these things continued to unfold in front of them. And I'm sure, I mean... It was emotional enough, like, looking at that myself. I can't imagine being a developer, uh, hacker, that is just going through that firsthand. Like, how would, how did they feel uncovering all that? That must have been deep. Mm -hmm. And actually, just slight correction, I had to double-check as well, too. Um, July 11th is actually the date he passed away, not his birthday. Right. Um, I believe I said that. If I didn't say that... Well, you said birthday? Oh, I think I originally said said his the anniversary of his death but either way yes it is it, it is the anniversary of his death not his birthday mm -hmm. that's cool there's just there, there's a little bit of a wad in every single switch now yeah that's that's uh something special there a wad is kind of like looking over every player in every device his legacy lives on yeah in every switch and that's actually that um, there's even a Japanese word for that where it's a type of guardian. Um, but somebody on Twitter was even saying that where she's like, yeah, no, he is essentially, you know, the guardian of every switch. That's why this was put in here. And it was named to be unlocked in that very specific way. And the Japanese culture just never ceases to amaze me. Mm -hmm. That kind of like thought and dedication put into that is just it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I remember that was because, uh, you know, we, we talked about this, but I was like, I was not preparing to feel with that. And even like for the gaming industry, uh, Wada's death was it, it was big. Like it was really unfortunate when it happened. And it was even suddenly, too, you know, because they kept they really kept it under wraps, like his his condition, all that near his end of days. Yeah, uh, I think a big part of it was because he was a serious developer. I mean, he was in an executive position, but he was like, he had real passion about this. He wasn't just, you know, the corporate side of things. He really was invested. He developed a lot of these titles in the past. Um, so he, I mean, he was about as invested and about as real as you can get with this mm -hmm. kind of thing. I, I think the, the thing too, at least for me, that was kind of hidden home was, you know, he has, he has directly affected me by, you know, touching and developing games that I very much enjoyed and then indirectly hit me because these are, there's been many other games that I've played that have been created by developers who have played his games and enjoyed them and have probably been inspired by them as well, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the the shocking thing was really, and it was it was respectful, but seeing how, for the most part, um, seeing how a lot of people were reacting as well, too, because even like, my my parents they um they knew about it as well like they it was big enough news where they don't follow gaming scenes at all that they knew about it um i had even personally like i called them up <laughs> right after i like shortly after i found out about his death i was like guys is take care of yourselves he was he was only 55 that was mm -hmm. that was too young to go he was robbed of a lot of his life um i think he did live a fulfilling life but 
even then on that, a lot of my favorite YouTubers were making tribute videos to him and like their voices were shaking and you could tell like even like one of my favorite YouTubers, Adam Korlick, like if you go back, you watch his video talking about Awada's death, he is, he looks horrible in there because he is just like mourning so hard and he even says, he's like, guys, I did not want to make this video. I wanted to be in a happy place. That's how I am with making videos. I didn't want to make this video, but the reason why I'm making this is respect for you guys. Like people have been asking about my, like what my thoughts are on it. And just everyone was like, all these people just had so much emotion tied to this death. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think so many people grew up with him, right? Yeah. Um, he was in the forefront of a lot of uh, Nintendo press, you know, the Nintendo directs. Um, so he, personified, I think, what a lot of people thought of Nintendo. Yeah. Um, so there is an emotional attachment. I think there is, you know, I think Nintendo was left in good hands, and you would hope that they'll continue, you know, his legacy, continue being what he envisioned. I think they're on a great trajectory right now. Um, but, you know, there's a lot that goes into that kind of thing, even if you don't personally know that person that died. Absolutely. It's it's like when you have a favorite actor or a favorite musical artist of some kind that passes away. Like, yeah, you probably didn't know them personally. You've probably never met them personally. Uh, but their work and what they've done in their life has affected you to the point where you are mourning their, their passing. So, yeah. At least, you know... His death wasn't in vain, of course. Laid a lot of groundwork. We now have a really cool Easter egg. And maybe the community will do something cool with this. Maybe the community will take this uh, and eventually do something with this, whether it's an NES emulator, kind of mapping motion controls. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I'm glad that we now have access to this. So I, I'm... I guess it's kind of weird to say, but I'm kind of excited to celebrate his death, the death of his anniversary by playing this in tribute to him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a point of definitely playing this game on yeah. July 11th. I, I think that would be the best way to celebrate it, honestly. Um, I was even thinking like two things that would be cool if this led to anything. One would be, um, I would love it if this you know gets even more out of hand let's say july 10th july 11th comes by and um it gets a ton of news a ton of traction <clears throat> people love it they think it's awesome um and then nintendo starts re-releasing some older games on the virtual console for the system but with motion controls enabled i think that'd be really cool um another thing could be as well because you know, let's say this gets big enough where like everybody who has a Switch or most people that own a Switch know about this Easter egg. I think it'd be a really cool gesture if maybe on Awada's birthday, they gave it out for free on the store so you can just play it whenever you want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really cool. And that'd be a good idea on their part. Um, I mean, the whole, the whole thing, you know, doing that, showing the vision, releasing some of the titles that he perhaps worked on, would be the best way to honor him and to really introduce a new kind of technology to these virtual consoles all around. You know what I mean? That's part of his vision, right? Making games very fun and accessible to everyone, good quality games, implementing motion controls uh, in these games seems like a perfect way for them to tribute him. Absolutely. Yeah.
All right. Well, with, with that, you know, I think that's a good way to end as well. I need to, I don't know if my voice is breaking up or I just need some water here, but I yeah, think folks. that, you know, rest in peace of water. We still miss you. I think, I think he'd be happy with where the switch is at right now and how well it succeeded. Oh, yeah. That is so many people have said that I would have loved for him to be alive to see the success and the trajectory that we have here. This is mm -hmm. not a failure. This is on a good path. Um, and it makes me proud as a longtime uh, Nintendo fan and, and consumer. So I'm sure he would be very happy. Absolutely. I think so as well, too. With that, you uh, you want to go on to the next topic here? Yes. And honestly, this next topic makes me very happy. Because the NES Classic is returning. Um, oh, snap. I did not pick up one like a fool. And I know that you did get your hands on one at MSRP. I did. Um, I was not too diligently. I wasn't keeping too much of a track of the SNES Classic. Um, I wanted to pre-order it, and then I missed it somehow. So uh, <laughs> I'm behind on that, too. But it sounds like, in general, NES Classic will be available um, 2018 at some point. I don't know. Did they have a general time frame? They do not. So sometime in two, uh, 2018... We'll be getting the NES Classic again, um, intended for mass production, not intended for just a season. Um, we already knew that the SNES Classic was supposed to have much more shipments, and I believe Nintendo has even come out and said, don't buy it when it's not at MSRP. Like, that that really it. spoke volumes to me, yeah, because that, that was in regards to the Super Nintendo Classic, correct? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Because they had they had announced immediately after that that uh, the net, the Nintendo Classic is coming back, um, but the Super Nintendo Classic, like when when it's coming straight from Nintendo and they are saying, do not spend over MSRP, and they straight up call out the scalpers. They're like, if anybody's selling it for more than eighty bucks, don't buy it. We're gonna make sure if you want one, you can buy one for eighty dollars. And if that's true, I think that'll be great. Yeah, definitely. Um... You know, we've seen problems with this in the past from various Nintendo things. Um, I think they've, you know, kind of got their act together with the Amiibo. So I have, you know, I have faith that they can execute this well. This is an amazing product that can help put Nintendo back on the map in so many ways. Um, I know my mother would love to have this, but there is no way that she would, you know, go through the massive amount of effort or pay an arm and a leg for one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, perhaps even a grandparent or two I can think of might actually even enjoy one of these. So I think it opens up a huge audience of uh, Nintendo people that haven't been around for a while and can bring them back into the Switch. I mean, uh, there's no reason it's not like a, a competition thing. They're not competing with their own products. If anything, they're just going to bring more people to their current platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one question I actually had for you then, well, I, I'll even say one thing I was mentioning because you mentioned the uh, the grandparent thing. Um, and I can't help but smile at that because there are, it was surprising there were a lot of people that that was the audience who was picking it up. Um, I'm Many people would be surprised that there was a few elderly people that I spoke with. And uh, like if I would go to a shop, I was buying a game from there or something. Uh, like I remember distinctly there was one older gentleman who I was getting some video games from a thrift store and he was working there. And he's like, man, I don't even I don't I don't really play video games. I don't I used to have a bunch of systems I don't anymore. And I was just like, wait, like you I, I guess what do you have? Or like we somehow got into what he had. He's like, well, I really don't play anything except for well, the Nintendo. 
I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, I actually, I got that Nintendo mini thing. And I, at the time, it was impossible to find them. So I was like, wait, you got one? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I saw it. It was $60 and it had pretty much all the games I really liked when I was a kid. So I said, why not? So that's really the only game system I have. And there were a lot of people that grew up with Nintendo that picked it up just for that purpose. Uh, so I think it's great for... Um, for Nintendo to be re-releasing this. I think that was kind of their plan all along as well, too. Uh, and on top of that, I think if anybody held off on buying one, you definitely did a good job. And my hat's off to you on that. I don't want to physically take my hat off. But um, there were a lot of people that kind of gave in and they end up getting these scalped versions, which in my opinion is not a device worth paying over $60 for. Uh, a lot of people even said it wasn't worth $60, but my logic was, I'm paying $2 a game and I'm getting 30 games. I think $2 a game is a pretty good value for this. Yeah, totally. Um, I held off. I've still won one really badly. Um, as soon as I get another opportunity to get an NES Classic, I'm going to get it. I know the SNES Classic comes out in just a few days, a little over a week maybe. I don't um, even know. I haven't really tracked it because I've there were a few times I tried to pre-order it and I couldn't. Like I was asleep when the pre-orders were happening or I was busy, so I haven't been able to pre-order one. Uh, the NES Classic, I actually tried to pre-order and I couldn't because Amazon got overloaded. Yeah, um, I believe it comes out not too distant future. September 29th. Yep. Nine days. Oh, damn. Um, All right. Yeah, so I'm going to try and grab one. I'm going to press my luck here. Uh, did pretty well with the Switch, picking it up on day two. <laughs> so I'm hoping that luck carries over. Mm -hmm. If if you're able to nab two, if, if you can get me one, I'll pay you back. That'd be awesome. I got you. Appreciate it. I was going to, even like full disclosure, I think I, I told you this, Devin, and I, some other people, but there was, when I got my NES Classic, a lot of people freaked out. They're like, oh, can you get another one? Can you get another one? I'm like, guys, I went there. They allowed one per customer. But I know several people, like if I could have gotten multiple ones, like I wasn't going to scalp them. Like if I could have gotten two or so, I would have just sold one to someone at equal value, like at MSRP that I paid for it. So just, you know, the price plus tax. Because I know a lot of people that really wanted one to collect or actually play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to play it, honestly. I would hook that up in a heartbeat when people come over. You know, um, I have a Raspberry Pi. I thought about setting it up with emulators and whatnot. But... I think there's something, not only is it a good display piece, but there's something about that that really just sends people back when they come over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and actually, this kind of leads to my question on this well, too. Like, I'm, I'm happy you have, you know, a lot of, I, I guess, excitement for it, I could say. Um, but what's led to that? Because I remember a while, like, even I think it was, like, right around the time it came out and while it was really, really hyped up and even right as I got one, um, I remember I talked with you about it and you had said something like, you're just like, oh, you know, I'm not really that into it. Like, if I want to, I can emulate the games. And then I found out that it's pretty much just like a little Android emulator box and I was less inclined to get it. So, because I remember, like, the last time we actually talked about this, you had negative interest in it. I wouldn't say I had negative interest. I had no interest in putting in time and effort and extra money, and it seemed not worth the additional uh, just everything. If it was widely available at the stores and I could just go pick up one, I probably would have done it. But um, I didn't really get that interested in pre-ordering it. I was like, that sounds interesting. I'm going to wait to see when it comes out. And then when it was just not available, I was like, no, I don't have time for this right now. I've got way too much going on. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I don't I wouldn't say I ever had negative opinions on it. It's just 
right now, if this is how it's going to be, if it's going to be this difficult to get it, a Raspberry Pi is thirty dollars or thirty-five or whatever. Uh, you could use that if you really wanted to. Um, but if they make this abundant, I'm going to get it. SNES Classic, I'm going to try and get it. Um, but not if it's the same situation all over again. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. And I'm just going to play the exact same game um, I did with uh, the Super Nintendo Classic. Uh, if they release one, like if, they, if they're readily available everywhere and I can find one for $80 plus tax, I'll totally buy it. If I have to pay more than that, like I'd be willing, the only... The only thing I'd really be willing to pay more for is if it was shipping. Um, like if it was tax plus 80 bucks plus like a few dollars for shipping, I don't mind that. But if someone's charging like $120 for it, no. I'm just going to wait to get one at MSRP. Yep. I totally agree. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So even though that wasn't really modding related, we did want to bring it up because it was interesting enough. I'm also in, because you, you mentioned the Raspberry Pi thing. A lot of people, they were saying, they're like, well, why don't you just get a Raspberry Pi and all this stuff? It's like, well, why, why not both? I got the Raspberry Pi option because I liked building that out and I thought it was interesting. And then I got the Nintendo Classic because it is... I told people, you know, it was cool to play around with. It was cool to also try and modify as well, which I was able to do and mod and add more games to it. And then whenever I got bored of it, it is a super cool-looking centerpiece to have in the collection. I totally agree. No matter how you look at it, it's pretty good. And you already mentioned that was at $2 a game, which is incredibly affordable. Um, if Nintendo re-released some of those games on mobile, I think they could easily, easily charge more than two dollars yeah they could so i mean no matter how you're looking at it you're getting a good deal mm -hmm. um and i i do exactly the same i even think if i had everything set up a pie with like retro pie snes classic nes classic um i would choose those two uh dedicated consoles over the raspberry yeah raspberry pi anything else you know sega genesis maybe uh some other emulator sure i'll use the pie Mm -hmm. uh, I like the authentic feel and look, and I think that also um, carries over into you know guests coming over and seeing that and getting that experience. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. I I think it's a cool looking system for whatever it's going to be, and it's kind of like even when I was thinking of that as well too. Uh, my logic on it is even like you know picking one up, adding it to the collection is kind of like with Amiibos, where Amiibos is like yeah, you if. If you if you're like me, you're gonna you know get an amiibo for a character you like, open it up, you know, try it out a few times, and then once you're bored with it or you just don't want to use it anymore, it's a really cool looking shelf piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I saw amiibos, I never went crazy with them. I did get the ones that I want. There's still a few that I like to buy, but that was exactly my thought process. I was like, these are nice, high quality figures that I would be happy putting on a shelf. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm happy I didn't go crazy with Amiibos. I've got yeah. probably more than I would care for, as in, like, I have, like, 10 Amiibos, like, 10 or 12 Amiibos, but I'm happy I didn't go crazy over that hype train. Yeah, I would like to... You ever see the Amiibo cases? The custom cases that you can get for them? Yeah. I would love to get a couple of those. For the ones, like, you really like? Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful story. That's respectable. That's respectable. I gotcha. I guess on that, so this is, this one we just found to be really interesting here, but uh, Devin, have you heard of the game Fortnite, <coughs> or do you know too much, do, do you know all that much about it? Uh, 
I've heard of it. I don't know much about it other than the very brief discussion we had. Yeah, I know we um because we we discussed it a little bit, I think two nights or so ago. Um, but we also ended up uh what was it? Um I'm just looking at it here. Uh you don't really need to know too much about the game, and you as in I'm talking to anyone on here. Um you don't really need to know too much about the game, just really what you need to know is that Crossplay is a thing between some systems and some games. Um, I know, like Rocket League, is one of the notable games where, for example, uh, if you're on PlayStation Four, um, you can play with people on Steam who have Rocket League. And then I believe right now um, Xbox One can play with PC, like on Steam. And uh, Switch is going to be added to that as well too. So if you're like PC Switch users and uh, Xbox One users can all play with one another. Um, now, this has been debated quite a bit because a lot of people are trying to get Sony to do cross-play on games. And Sony doesn't really seem to be bu uh, budging too much. And a lot of developers recently have come out and said, recently in the past few months, um, they've been coming out and saying that Sony is not allowing it. Sony has come out with some piss-poor excuses just saying that they don't think the other networks are secure enough so they don't want to tangle and weave them in and all this stuff. I think it's just kind of a competition type thing. Either way, though, the game Fortnite at one point uh, between PS4 and Xbox One was cross-play compatible. Uh, there was one weekend where it was up, people were playing, and people on PS4 noticed they were playing with people that had spaces in their usernames. So a bunch of users started running tests, and they saw that Fortnite Xbox One users and Fortnite PS4 users were able to play with one another. Uh, this was not supposed to be intended, so it ended up getting changed up. It was reverted. Um, but the big thing is that it showed that it was extremely possible through just a glitch that someone either might have accidentally enabled or maybe they did on purpose. Conspiracy, we're not sure. Yeah, um, it is really interesting. Um, I'm sure... Sony has some kind of excuse for whatever business reason why they wouldn't want to enable this. But I think it makes it extra frustrating that there's no API we're waiting on. There's no code that Sony needs to make available at all for this to happen. They literally have this all wired up on their servers, ready to go at Sony's whim, and Sony just says no. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's the most frustrating part for users out there. Um, in general, this obviously isn't just this game. This could be any game. Perhaps these games don't have it ready to switch over, but it sounds like if Sony actually gave the call and said, yes, crossplay is okay now, we could get it very easily. Yeah. No, I, uh, I believe that as well, too. Um, even one thing was I'd listened to a podcast with, uh, who was it? The vice president of psionics, um, who psionics, they are the developers behind what game was it? Um, I'm blanking on rocket league, the one that I was just talking about and using as an example. And, uh, they were like the people who were interviewing them on the podcast. It was the weapon wheel podcast. Uh, they were asking, uh, the president, vice president about all of this, uh, cross play stuff. And he even said, he's like, guys, it's actually not that hard to implement. Uh, in short, we have a internal tool where there's a few checkboxes that say yes or no. Uh, we have everything on our end. Um, it's really all ready to go. 
If Sony says yes, you can enable crossplay between all users of Rocket League. This is what we would have. What would happen? We would open up our internal tool. We would check the box saying this is allowed, and about 30 to 60 minutes later, the changes would all be propagated to all the servers, and then people on PS4 can play with people on Switch and Xbox One, and vice versa. Um, so really, it's not a hard change to implement, and it's just really Sony that's holding back at this point. Yeah, it almost sounds like it's more work to prevent the cross-play <laughs> than to actually implement the cross-play, which is kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Another oh, wow. thing that's kind of funny, I think, is uh, seems like everyone's talking about this, even people in the chat. Uh, Phil Spencer's comments on the situation. Mm -hmm. um, Phil Spencer from Xbox, of course, and he made a comment saying, I would have liked to have seen them leave it on. Who knows? He was just trolling them or taking an easy shot at Sony or what, but uh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I thought that was funny as well, too. That definitely made me laugh quite a bit. But yeah, it shows that, I mean, all the companies are trying to work with one another um, on this. Even so, I know, like, for example, uh, Nintendo and Microsoft were working really well with each other with the whole, what game was it? Uh, Minecraft debacle, because Minecraft was going to come to Wii U, and I think, well, now it's on 3DS, but it was planned to come to Wii U. It did release on Wii U eventually, of course, um, but Microsoft owned, uh, well, owns uh, Mojang, that's how I say Ramoyang, however you're going to say it. Uh, and they had to work with Nintendo. And both parties said they're like, yeah, it's all been smooth sailing. This is an awesome company to work with. And we haven't had any issues with them. So that's another thing, too. A lot of people have kind of criticized Sony on that because it's, hey, Nintendo, of all companies, is allowing cross-play. Why isn't Sony? I think the answer is probably just competition. Since the PS4 is doing extremely well, uh, they don't need to bend anything to win any type of console race at this moment in time. While as, you know, the Switch, they're still trying to gain momentum, trying to gain new users and get the Switch into as many homes as possible. And the Xbox One, that's obviously lagged behind majorly with the PlayStation 4. So at that point, when you're not in first place in one of these console wars or console races, you're going to do everything you can to try and get that number one spot and try and get the favorable appeal. Yeah, I think you're uh, hitting the nail on the head there. Um, if the PS4 is on top right now, if your friends have a PS4 and you haven't bought a console yet, the only way to play with them is to get a PS4. That's what you're going to do. But on the other hand, Nintendo, they're not in the top spot. And if getting a Nintendo Switch means that you can play Nintendo games and enjoy the portability and all the things that come with it, and you can play with your friends, mm -hmm. that's, that's big. So I think eventually this is going to be a thing of the past. We should be there by now. I don't know why we aren't. But I think this will eventually come and go, and we will all be doing cross-play, and it will be a normal thing. But until Sony budges, it's just it's going to be a frustrating user experience. It will be, unfortunately. I don't think, I don't think people realize like, how nice it will be because they've been so used to it. Well, that's even um, what system, well, yeah, again, with Rocket League, that's even what the uh, the vice president there was saying when he was on that interview. Um, he had said that the reason why they were tackling this so heavily was every few years, it's kind of, it just comes in waves. Um, occasionally, there'll be a game that comes out that has cross-play and they do it pretty well. And then people say, hey, this is awesome. 
why don't more people do this? And it's like, yeah, why don't more people do this? Why don't more people do this? So then there's a general buzz about it and then it disappears. But every single time the wave comes back, it gets stronger. And it's been super strong with Rocket League. So that's why they're really trying to capitalize on that. And he was saying the reason why they put it out there was because they wanted the average person to be able to just play Rocket League with Rocket League players. Um, if you are, I don't know, let's say a 34-year-old person who you want to just play with some friends across the country uh, and they are all on PS4 and you're on Xbox One and you all enjoy Rocket League, why can't you play with each other? If you all have the same game, and especially there's not really a major advantage to the game, there's no, um, it is competitive, of course, but they try and make it as skill-based as possible. Um, nothing with aesthetics, nothing with, you know, leveling up your character or anything. It's just, you are as good as you are on there. And the controller system you use, so be it, use whatever you're comfortable with or whatever works. Uh, but they were wanting to make it so that ultimately Rocket League players can play with Rocket League players, regardless of what type of hardware they had, what type of system they had, or anything of the sort. And they're trying to push past it with other games as well, too. So even though they are trying to get it on all systems synchronized, they are trying to do that so that other developers will follow suit. Yeah, and personally, I think it sounds awesome to, you know, be sitting at your computer playing the game, and then you have a Switch, so you do still like PC gaming, you like playing it on your computer at your desk, but then you could just take the Switch with you and continue playing with the same people. Yeah. So I think it sounds fantastic, and I really hope that the momentum continues and Sony eventually gives here, or they're just outnumbered. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping so. I think if enough people complain, we'll, we'll hopefully get it as a feature. Um, if not, maybe next generation with the PlayStation 5, it won't do as well, and then they'll implement it. I have no idea, but I hope that at one point in the future, we'll just be able to play on everything like that. Yeah, I do think that these are the kinds of mistakes that will come back and haunt a company, right? Mm -hmm. um, these are things, they have the power to kind of abuse their users and take advantage of it, but the next generation, the next go-around, if they don't play their cards right, they may not be so keen on that, and if something else looks appealing, they may be quick to jump ship. Yeah. So... I can agree with that. Treat your customers well. You got it, man. You got to. Yeah. Anyways, it looks like we have one more topic on here that we can discuss, but uh, Devin, do you want to take this one? Sure. Um, I've heard about this. Haven't got to try it out, but um, from what I can tell, a pretty well-known, pretty respected ROM hacker has actually come out with a hack for Super Mario 64 that supports some degree of online play, online multiplayer. Um, so this is the original Super Mario 64 game that we all know and love, but multiple characters, or you can have multiple people, I think they set up to 24 or something ridiculous like that, can all be running around playing at the same time. It's pretty incredible. Tried it either. I think the first time I heard of it was, I believe, um, Oni had done a bit of a let's play series with it. Um, but yeah, it is a ROM hack where you have to get the original ROM, you patch it, and then with some magic, you're able to play it online. Um, but recently it got taken down, unfortunately, is what it looks like. Yeah, which it's a bit of a shame. I mean, I'm not too surprised with uh. Nintendo's reputation with kind of copyright and stuff like that. They've not really been the 
nicest player in the game right now. Um, you know, looking at it, even just from like YouTube, I've known, known that they've been a stickler with that kind of stuff. Um, so it's kind of a shame. The good thing is that these are, this is a ROM hack. So um, <clears throat> I believe this will be available on the internet till the end of time because that's just how things happen on the internet. But it kind of stinks that, you know, possibly any progress on this is, is slowing down or halting and, you know, hopefully the uh, the developer of this doesn't see any repercussions. Yeah, and from what I've seen on it, uh, it looks like the developer had his Patreon taken down where his Patreon was, I didn't see it, but um, from the reports on it, his Patreon uh, was, you know, used to help develop this game uh, or this ROM hack, so to speak. Uh, so his Patreon was taken down and he had at least a few videos on his YouTube channel get taken down from Nintendo. So it's obvious enough the ROM hack itself is probably going to get taken down. Of course, it's still available online because it's been around long enough at this point where, hey, uh, you, you can DMCA it, but it's still going to pop back up. The file's already been released. It's readily available. It's been updated, but um, even though it's not officially down at this point, uh, it's probably going to be happening sometime here pretty soon. Right, yeah. Um... I'm definitely going to give it a try. I think it's a really interesting project, and I'd love to see more things like this. Um, you know, similar to the the golf game that we talked earlier, just breathing new life into these games and uh, getting them in the hands of people again, adding whole new elements to it. Uh, I can think of a number of games that would be really interesting if it's you know follows the same paradigm of adding multiplayer uh, to mm -hmm. a nice single player experience. Yeah. So, and this ROM hack's been out for a, a good minute as well, too. Um, I think the the direct issues with it, because a lot of people are trying to say, oh, it can be legal for this or that or whatever. Um, from what I'm understanding, ROM hacks just themselves are not legal. Uh, but on top of that as well, too, because um, you had to get the ROM separately. So a lot of people use that as defense. And they said, no, you get the ROM separately, and then you take the patch. Like, you, you have to find the patch itself. Um, and this guy, he's not he's not distributing the game. He's not distributing the ROM. He's distributing a patch for the ROM. And then you yourself have to apply the patch to a ROM that you get yourself, and then you're able to play it. The problem was the patch itself contained character data for a lot of other characters, a lot of other sprites, animations, whatever it might be. And the characters, like, for example, like Luigi here, it patched in all the Luigi stuff. Luigi is a copyrighted character. So therefore he was distributing, you know, that that art, so to speak, uh, without explicit permission from Nintendo. That is interesting. Um, I wasn't aware of that, that part, so I'm glad you shared that. Um, makes me wonder, though, if he could release an alternative version that had no copywritten information data in it at all and kind of let that keep going. Um, I know that Pokemon Company is not directly affiliated with Nintendo, um, or maybe Nintendo has majority stake, something along the lines, but it, it is not like a direct property of Nintendo. And there are a lot of ROM hack patches that exist out there. Um, the thing is, though, even if it exists, that doesn't mean it's legal. And I know there was a... Um, not a ROM hack, but there was a homebrew Pokemon game. Was it like Pokemon Nuclear Edition or something? Um, it was some crazy game built um, on PC, 
and that was taken down by Nintendo. And then I know, and that was a, just a direct Pokemon game. Um, and then there was another game, uh, the Metroid 2 remake. I think it was called another Metroid 2 remake or A2MR. Uh, that was also taken down with a cease and desist as well. So um, the thing is, ROM hacks, from what I understand, as I said, um, they are illegal. It's just, it re it's really up to the company how much they care. Sega, for example, has put it out there. They're like, no, we think this is awesome. We really don't care all that much. And they even support it to an extent. While as Nintendo, they definitely seem like a no-go on but even oh, when you yeah. uh, uh, even when you mention that um, the kind of the YouTube thing um, for people that are thinking that it might not get truly taken down or the developer might not get hit with a cease and desist uh, we're talking about a company that will go out of their way to monetize and claim audiovisual rights on videos of people playing their games so if they're going as far as that with just footage they're going to do it with a ROM hack and it's been done several times yeah, but I do want to make a very clear distinction between the Samus remake that was made on the PC and a ROM hack. Those are two entirely different things. The Samus right. game used lots of copywritten material to make a, you know, spiritual successor, while the ROM hack may not have any copywritten data. I think some ROM hacks could be illegal, but I do not think that they are inherently. I think that is the benefit of distributing it as such. Otherwise, it would be just bundled because there's no benefit if it's got copyright material. Why They are just distributing the ROM patch. Maybe they thought they would have better odds at not getting caught up in something. Um, I'm not sure. But, uh, I mean, I definitely think it's a gray area that has a lot of room for precedent to be set still. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm even looking on, let me see, because there was uh, one thing where I know Nintendo, they've even had official stances on this. So um, when it comes to their stuff, because their belief is um, anything, and I and I will agree with you on that as well, too. Yeah, I was kind of at fault for saying another Metroid 2 remake and even that Pokemon game were ROM hacks. They were fully developed games, not direct ROM hacks. Um, but no, when it came down to this as well, Nintendo's stance overall on this is they even say on their sites, which I can't pull up right now, um, I just need to spend some time finding it, but they say, no, we believe any type of ROMs are legal. Any type of emulation is illegal, period, point blank. That is what it is. And that's, that's their stance on it. Well, that's true. I mean, there, there could be ways to legally get around it while a ROM patch file may not contain copywritten material. Any implementation of that patch file is copyright infringing and potentially most likely illegal. So that is fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm even looking it up right now here, so to speak. Um, let me see. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, it's saying it hurts Nintendo's goodwill, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, so how come Nintendo does not... It, yeah, like one thing, for example, and it's on their, um, their corporate legal site, but like how come Nintendo does not take steps towards legitimizing Nintendo emulators? Emulators developed to play illegally copy Nintendo software promote piracy. That's like asking why doesn't Nintendo legitimize piracy? It doesn't make any business sense. It's not that simple and not open to debate. That's their attitude on this. Right. Yeah. Pretty firm. <laughs> Pretty firm. Yeah, I think um, 
what was it? Because a lot of people, they've even kind of questioned that as well, too, just because, you know, um, CMU, um, the Wii U emulator, um, that's been notable for a while. And even so, it's like it's showing that Nintendo took down this ROM hack Patreon, but they didn't take down the CMU emulator uh, page. Um, but they've said, uh, the developers, they and I think in good conscience, they could say this, um, we're just really taking their word because it's a closed source project, but they've said that they're doing clean room code. Um, they don't have any, you know, copywritten code. They don't have anything stolen from Nintendo. Uh, I actually spoke with someone who, of course, he doesn't have any proof. This is kind of a conspiracy theory, but he was saying, he's like, you know, they might just be saying that because they might have actually had some code and some insight from somewhere in Nintendo and they ended up developing and helping work on this emulator, but they keep it closed source so that way they don't have to prove it. That's not what I personally believe. I hope that's not really the case, but it is a possibility as well. Yeah, it is a possibility. There are ways of kind of watermarking your code so even when it's compiled that you'll be able to like tell if some of it's uh, you know copywritten or stolen from somewhere else, but um, I think it has to be more deliberate so, um, who knows? You know, I hope the best for them, too, because I think it's a good project. I think uh, emulators in general are a good thing to preserve games. Um, you know, it just stinks that by nature, you're in a gray area. Yeah, I can agree with that. Eh, annoyance. Oh, well. What are you going to do? I, I hope the best for this as well. I would say just, you know, hey, if you, if you have a chance to play it, awesome. Hopefully, like, it, it's not going to die off completely. I think it's going to be one of those things where, yeah, the DMCA is going to happen, but then at some point they're probably not going to care as much. I know um, with Halo Online, are you uh, familiar with that at all? What about it? Um, so Halo Online, it was a free-to-play Halo game that was essentially... Halo 3 on PC. And uh, it was available in the Russian market, I believe. It was in closed beta. And uh, what some people did was, you know, <laughs> it was NDA, all that other fun stuff. And um, some people end up taking it. They end up creating a few things such as El Dorito. And they were able to then make the game playable and build up their own version of the game, so to speak. Uh, so what happened was, from the get-go, the people who were developing it um, decentralized it as much as possible. They wanted to do that, so that way, if Microsoft, which they did, if Microsoft did a DMCA, it was already out there. It spread like wildfire. They weren't going to completely shut it down. Um, so at the time, when it was still actively in development, Microsoft was DMCAing videos showcasing it. Uh, they were DMCAing any download links, anything they could really find. Although they were still, they just, they made it, a really roundabout way to find. Like, essentially, if you tried to find it, instead of just clicking on a Google Drive download link or something, it would say, hey, you need to go to this page and read this thing and read this thing and then download this torrent and then open it up. So you just had to go through a roundabout way, but you could still play it at the end. Um, then what happened was Microsoft ended up canceling it. They said, hey, we've canceled the game. It wasn't going the direction we wanted it to. So it's done. And at this point, they don't care anymore. Um, even... Right before development was announced that it was over, it was showing the signs as well, too, because the DMCA is on download links. It stopped a while ago. Uh, but YouTube videos are still getting taken down, but they kind of stopped. And now it's even at the point where big YouTubers who have hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers have made montages on Halo Online. They've had gameplay videos. They've had tutorials on how to download and set it up. And they don't get touched. Like, Microsoft just does not care about it now. 
Huh. That is really interesting. No, I hadn't kept up with that at all, but, you know, it's kind of good. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, I have to remind me the name of it, the team that kind of put the emulator, made the emulators available for, what was it? I think it was on the Dreamcast, Team Echelon or something like that. Uh, Was that, were they the ones, um, Echelon, that it was like the Genesis emulator? Is that the one you're thinking of? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, no, because they had that. They they literally had help from a person from Sega who was just like, "Hey, this is an emulator. This is how you use it. Have fun." Yeah, like we're going downhill. Mm-hmm. Dreamcast is dying. Yep. See ya. <laughs> yeah, that's always a fun story to tell as well, too. Yeah, but anyways, I think we've we have gone through all of our topics, haven't we, Devin? Yeah, it's been like an hour and a half too. Yeah. It's a good I, show. I, I knew we'd have a good time. I, I had a good time with it. Did you? Oh, absolutely. And the chat's been good. The chat's been pretty lively today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, on here as well, I guess now at this point, you know, we, we can have another, you know, 20, 30 minutes or so. So this is to the chat right here. Uh, if you all have any questions that you'd like to ask us, please go ahead and spam them, drop them in the chat and we'll answer them as best we can. Uh, for anybody who is listening or watching after the fact that this has been put out live, um, this is the live port well, the live Q and a session of our podcast where normally at the end we spend, you know, anywhere from 20, 30, 45 minutes, just taking questions that are in the live chat here. So, um, if you're ever available, then you can, you know, hop into the live chat near the end and ask us a few questions. Uh, if not try and get in on another show and you can hopefully do that. Um, but yeah, anyways, I'm kind of, I'm hungry as well too. I'm not sure about you, Devin, but how, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling hungry. You feeling it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a really late lunch, so it's like right before the podcast, I didn't feel hungry, but now at this point, I'm I'm hungry. Yeah. It's been like I an hour and a half. These these podcasts always fly as well, too, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Do we? Do you have any? Um. Anything in the chat that catches your eye right away? uh let's see first one is uh what game should i grab for my ps4 uh, i guess we're talking exclusives here or even not i'm not uh the order 1886 was a fun game to play through horizon zero dawn that's definitely a must pick up um i would say uncharted i'm just saying uncharted was not my cup of tea i'm actually more of a tomb raider person like the newer tomb raider games as opposed to uncharted but um i think tristan you had played that as well too um but yeah really most I would say most exclusive games out there um, would be worth giving a shot um, just because those are games that are really only going to be on the PS4. You won't be able to pick them up on other systems. Um, So those are some of the ones that I can recommend. They're not like, there's not a ton that are coming directly to mind right now. I think another one was um, Persona 5. That was it. They're not really coming to mind because I, uh, I've been on the PS4 that much. I've been on the switch admittedly. Yeah, I've been, it's been a, busy last couple months, but anytime I try and squeeze out some gaming, it's on the Switch. Um, I've had a, I've had a really good time with it, and I have <laughs> no real reason to pick up another console right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of the same way, honestly. Yeah. Um, kind of leading into that, Cernius guy has kind of asked if there's been any more word on any Switch hacks. Um, short answer, not really. We have SM hacks, which we talked about, kind of that's in the works. 
and have a bug flying around me. Yeah, the bug was flying around here too, man. Oh, it's bugging both of us. <laughs> but um, so no real new news on that. Um, SM hack still sounds like the most likely thing um, for Switch owners you know, to look forward to. So we'll see in due time, but nothing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, let's see on here. Uh, what is the best mod for PS Vita where Sony doesn't flag your PSN network? Um, so I guess he's asking on there, um, really want to take a PS Vita online and not get banned. Uh, my thing is my, my philosophy is if you have modified your system and you take it online, regardless of what you do, if you get a ban, you asked for it. Um, as for any actual bypass on there, um, I just know the ones that Hinkaku has where they have like the version spoofing and such, where you literally go in, change it to the latest version, and you're able to sign in online. Um, now, they did actually have a thing, and this is how no NPDRM came in, for anybody that doesn't know. Um, what Sony was doing was they were preventing people from downloading any of their titles and getting online properly, because if you had Nkaku on your system, you signed in, it would delete your activation file, which is how this came into play. Um, but as for a bypass, there's really not... that. that that's about the only thing we have, honestly. Um, I'll say this, if you truly don't want to get your PSN stuff flagged and you want to be on the Vita, get a second Vita, have that fully updated, fully stock, and keep your other one offline. That's what I can recommend to people. That's nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know far more about this stuff than I do. Um, I do wish I had all the consoles, but such is life. Yeah. I mean, that was more... Um, was It wasn't even really that, though. It was more just, you know, modding online in general. Um my yeah. fault because actually Devin, even with your with your 30s have you ever gotten hit with a ban or anything no i haven't booted it up in a couple months but um after several ban waves i was checking in on making sure everything looked good and i've not had any problems um i've not modified any games and gone online um like you know i've never uh gotten hacked Pokemon and taken them online and traded them or battled with them or anything like that. I haven't done any of some of the other telltale things that I can't quite remember. There was a few things that particularly got people flagged, but um, uh, I don't know. I think I've been pretty lucky. I don't do too much online with my 3DS though. So if I did get banned, um, I don't think I'd be that upset about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I have I have a few 3DS systems, but even so, it's like when I've checked them, because um, I never set up accounts on there. I think I've set up accounts once or twice, um, but I just don't care to play online, really. And even on 3DS, because of all the modding and stuff I was doing, um, and, you know, sometimes I'd reformat the system or whatever, I personally just didn't care much for it. But I just know on my systems, I've still been able to get online. I've still been able to, you know, access the marketplace and stuff um from what i see the way you're able to check for sure is if you have a nintendo network id signed in on there if you go to your friends list and it doesn't load up and it gives you a specific error that means you've been banned but since i don't have an nintendo network id tied to my systems i don't really have a way of checking that and i don't care all too much for it yeah and i have had my nintendo id uh on there so I'm sure it's probably worth checking. It's been a couple months, but um, I really haven't had any issues. But it is a, uh, a risk you take, like you said. You know, yeah. something yeah. that has been around for a while. This is not a new concept. Um, so it's the game you play. 
that's why you know it's not easy for everyone it's actually not easy for most people definitely not easy for me but if you really you know are serious about modding it's good to have two consoles your legitimate Absolutely. console and your modded console i mean that's the best way to do it Mm -hmm. The thing is, people just will want everything on that as well, too, which I understand is convenient just having everything on there. But when people are really that good, like my, my thing is, again, if, you, if you're taking your modded system online and you have your main account on there and all that, just just go in with the fact knowing, hey, if I get banned, it's my own damn fault. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of people who will get mad at insert company name here, but like when their account gets banned, their system gets banned, they say, hey, screw this company, they banned me and all this. It's like, but you modded your system, right? Yeah. You took it online, right? Yeah. They, they were doing what they have to, so you can't really fault them for that. Right. Yeah. So, Mario, it looks like there's a question here for you, specific. Oh. Okay. Are you going to do any original Xbox tutorials on your channel? Or have you done any recently? Eventually, probably. My thing is, I do love the original Xbox. I like the mods on there. But then I just don't really do videos on them. Not saying it's not going to happen. It's just I don't know when it's going to happen. And with upcoming videos, I've kind of learned it's just not... It's best not to tell people what I'm planning on making unless I actually have the video rendered done and uploaded and scheduled because my thing is it's it's a personal problem normally if i say it's like hey i'm going to be i'm thinking of making this video i either might not get around to it or i just get bugged constantly when the video is coming out right right yeah definitely seems like you've been on a, a decent role with uh modding videos in general oh thank you uh, so i mean it's good to see those again there was a little bit of a hiatus, but um, yeah, no, I mean, mm -hmm. they do whatever, you, you know, wherever your passion actually takes you. Yeah, I, I think the thing right now is to, um, with, because a lot of those, and actually I'm going to answer this question real quick because I feel bad if we're just kind of ranting here. There's some questions that are available. Um, Exit was asking, if you get a DS flash cart, are you going to brick and unbrick your 3DS with NTR boot for fun? I could. Will I? Maybe. Probably not, honestly. I used to do that with my PSP, though, but what about you, Devin? Would you do that? No. What I have thought about doing, though, is, which I probably won't do just because of time and everything else, is completely undoing my 3DS as much as possible and then kind of redoing it with NTR boot hacks from scratch, like simulating that whole process mm -hmm. with my 3DS. But I don't know if I would necessarily work but I did brick my PSP for multiple reasons when I was younger. But it was pretty fun to be able to use the Pandora battery and be like, hey, look, check it out. This is broken now. Oh, hey, oh, look. Yeah. I, I do that for fun as well, too. That was great. I even, uh, I even unbricked for a handful of people because it was great. There's people that I knew of where they would have a Pandora battery or not a Pandora battery. They, they'd have a PSP. They're like, yeah, no, I tried updating it a while ago and like the power cut now just doesn't turn back on. I was like, oh. I know how to fix that, so I would be able to fix it in five minutes. They're like, wait, holy shit, you fixed it? I'm like, yeah, it's modded too, and it's modded? And like, yeah, it was It was literally one button press, so it's not like you were doing me a disservice. Right. <laughs> that is pretty awesome to be able to fix it and mod it on the same process. That's pretty cool. Exactly. I can't say I ever did that. I really didn't know that many people that had PSPs. Really? Like, yeah, the only people that I ever knew that 
had them, were not interested in modding them themselves, like, or having a modded one. They thought it was cool that I had one, but there was very few people that I ever met that had a PSP. Interesting. Yeah, no, I knew a lot of people that had it. It was kind of the preferred system at that point, like the preferred handheld system. Yeah. I don't know. I just remember, I remember being in like junior high and I was one of the few people that had one. Not a lot of people were doing handhelds at like my school. It's all about the iPods back then, man. Interesting. Uh, iPods were more in high school, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They started too young where I was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, let's see here. Another question is, how do you feel about the Street Fighter II 30th Anniversary Special Collector's Edition? Oh, Devin, have you heard about this? Mm, no, I don't think so. I'll have to look it up. So it is um, It is a Super Nintendo, like a actual Super Nintendo um, cartridge that was remade. I think it was by... Uh, was it 8-bit or I don't remember who made it exactly. Let me look this up because I I, am I wasn't super... I am 8-bit? Okay. So no. they did it. They had the permission from Capcom to reprint it. It's a cool looking um, cartridge and everything and it's complete in box. It's like $100. It's a red cartridge. Um, I think it's a cool idea because like they were able to legally do this and there's people already that want um, what is it? Not not bootleg carts, but reproduction carts. That's the word that people use. Um, so this is a as much of a legitimate reproduction as you can get. Uh, the thing that was funny, though, was it had a warning saying that it was something along the lines of, hey, if you actually use this because it's a fucking video game and you're probably going to play in your Super Nintendo, Super Nintendos are antique systems and this could cause a fire. Hmm. Well, I mean... At least they're letting you know. But yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's any different than playing any other game. Yeah, I think it was just that this warning was so explicit about it that people really went nuts. And they're just like, wait, is Capcom and this team like teaming up to get these into people's homes and set fires? It's like, probably not, but it's it was funny at least. I wasn't super interested in it because, again, I was like, well, cool, I can pick that game up cheaper, probably like the legitimate copy, pick it up cheaper, and I don't want to pay 100 for that, but I think for the people that did get it, hopefully they enjoy it. Yeah, I would love to see this with more games that are, you know, really rare, that um, are, you know, beloved games that have just not lasted or didn't get a lot of, you know, copies printed uh, initially. Because um, like you said, if you can get this, the original copy available cheaper is it really that worth it however if there's a different game that no one can get a hold of or if it costs eighty dollars to get a used copy you know this could be really nice i'd love to see this happen more because there's obviously a market there yeah uh i actually do have a question for you kind of your thoughts on this um because recently a few weeks ago i ended up going to a game shop and this is the first time i've seen this but this game shop was actually openly selling reproduction games um, I kind of wanted to know what you thought on that because what they did was they were very upfront about it. He told me multiple times. He was very explicit about it. Um, the store owner was. And he was telling me like when I was looking at all my games, he, like well, all the games available there, he's saying, yeah, so these are all the Nintendo games, the Super Nintendo games. This is how much they are. These are this the pricing structure. And if you see any games with this color tag, that's reproduction. And he said that once or twice to me, and then I kind of asked him why he was doing it, and he said, he's like, well, you know, I myself, I don't 
I didn't really want to carry them, admittedly. Uh, and we don't make them ourselves. We buy them from Chinese sellers and then we resell them in the store. Um, but so many people were asking for them that I decided to start ordering and selling them here. Although I am very, very explicit because the people who are picking up games from here most of the time don't want to buy a reproduction copy. But if you just want a physical copy of whatever game it is, like if you just want a physical Earthbound to actually play, you probably wouldn't mind picking up a reproduction. I guess what I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that with, I don't know if you went into a game store and they were just openly selling repros. It would definitely catch my eye. Be a little odd. How I actually feel about it, um, that's tough. First, um, I think supply and demand. Like if they're not going to make it, these things, these cartridges aren't going to last forever. So it may be a necessary evil to an extent. Um, However, along the lines of supply and demand, the more people that buy these, the more popular these become, you know, the more of a market there could be for that, which could be harmful to legitimate sellers mm-hmm. or the legitimate market as a whole. So I don't know. That's, that's really tough for me. I think the fact that he was very explicit about it makes it a little more reasonable, but I don't know. It's hard for me to draw a line there. It's hard for me to figure out where I stand. What about you? I was kind of on that as well, too. Like, of course, just even saying that reproduction games, there's definitely a legal issue there. It's one of those things that it's small enough where people really aren't going to care too much for it. Um, I can say I probably didn't... I, I, I didn't really like the fact very much that, you know, they were selling reproduction games, but I can at least respect that he was very, very, very open about it. Like, if I saw a game and it was a reproduction, he wanted me to make sure that I was fully aware it was a reproduction game, not legitimate at all, that I was not, he was not trying to swindle me or anything of the sort. Um, So I can very much respect that. But even on his side, probably shouldn't be selling reproduction games, but with him, as he said, it was the supply and demand. And he told me, he's like, I didn't want to sell these originally, but people kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. And honestly... The collectors who come in here, there's not too many of them, but the people who are actually collectors, which are far and few in between, are going to spend the money to pick up that legitimate cartridge. Most people who come to the store, though, they want to pick up the cartridge and play it, and they don't care if it's a reproduction. Right. Yeah, you're not, you aren't taking away business, like you aren't compromising your business for the legitimate collectors. They will still do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is going to be, I feel like, you know, an area where it starts to cross over a little bit and you have people who may have bought the original copy, but if the reproduction is a little bit cheaper, then yeah, sure, I'll go with that. Um, So hopefully the guy comes out on top because he's made this decision, but I don't know. It sounds like you're a little wishy-washy on it too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really like I understand the the want for and even the need, so to speak, for reproductions. I think even morally, and that's more speaking from a legal standpoint. Legally, not not no. I was more speaking from a legal standpoint. Standpoint. Can't 
this is this is how I know I'm getting to near the end of the podcast. I can't speak properly. Uh, morally, when it comes down to it, though, I think what he was doing, he was just doing the the best thing that he could on that. And then even so, a lot of those games, it's like, yeah, they might be copyrighted materials, but at the same time, the developers aren't going to be getting any of the sales from that cartridge of the game because it's no longer in production. Not saying that's a right. thing that you can use in court, uh, but that's just you know the stance of what it is. Like games like Panzer, the, the one I use quite a bit is uh, Panzer Dragoon. Um, was it not Zwi? It was the the, the the RPG, which is escaping my mind right now. Um, but uh, it's called Ozel in Japan. I remember the Japanese name, but not the American name. Weird enough. Um, but Panzer Dragoon, that game sells for over four or five hundred dollars right now. That game's never going to be reprinted, re-released. So if you buy it legitimately, none of the money is going to the developers. If you buy a reproduction, none of the money is going to go to the developers. If you buy, if you pirate the game, none of the money will go to the developers. Right. I mean, that's a fair way of looking at it. So, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a very gray area, you know what I mean? As long as you're not swindling anyone, as long as there's no lying or, you know, people getting screwed out of what they think they're actually getting, you know, I think teach their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's weird. It's like the almost one of the more acceptable ways of piracy. Yeah. In a way. People don't synonymize reproduction with piracy, even though that's what it is. Yeah. Someone pirated it. Yeah. Either way, though. Let's see. Um, one person was asking even with the... Um, with the uh, reproductions, why invest in a single game repro when you can buy something like an EverDrive? Yeah, if, if that's your shtick, then that might be a better way of doing it, honestly. Um, have you looked into EverDrives before? I have. Um, they seem interesting. They seem like something that, you know, maybe if I had an NES laying around, maybe I'd, uh, I'd invest in to have that, like, authentic, nostalgic feel with the original controllers and the original console. But, uh, I mean, I think it, there are you know different wants and needs. Some mm -hmm. people want to take that even further and have a cartridge that they slide in. You know, it's the full experience, even if it's reproduction. Uh, while other people will find having a list of games that they can just pick from far more appealing. Because I believe EverDrives, you can load up many games right it runs off you, an SD. You just, you just literally pop ROMs onto an SD card, put it in the EverDrive yep. cartridge, put that in the system. Sorry. So it's playing ROMs on the legitimate hard uh, on the original legitimate hardware, right? So there's different wants and needs. Um, it fulfills two different purposes, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. But um, I could see myself having one. Um, I think I'm the kind of person. If I did have an NES collection, I would continue to collect. I would continue to buy. I would have the EverDrive for the games that I don't have. Maybe the games that I wouldn't want to use, perhaps, what if I, if I got a game that was sealed, you know, I might still want to play that game. So, um, I think they're neat, but, you know, different needs for different people. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely cool, popular devices, but, yeah, no, they can either be used for all the piracy or just if you want to preserve your collection. Like, if you have, I don't know, let's say a collection of 264 games and you don't want to, you literally don't want to go through and grab every single one and play it on there. Yeah. I can see somebody just instead of doing that, just taking all the games they own, popping them onto a EverDrive and keeping it in their N64. 
Right. Yeah, no, totally. Um, or do they have EverDrives for multiple consoles? Oh, yeah. No, uh, like Game Boy, I think Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Mega Drive or Genesis, um, Super Nintendo, of course, pretty much everything. Uh, they just released one for the Neo Geo. Um, I don't re- I don't know Neo Geo too much, so people don't don't uh, try and kill me over this. Um, but uh, one of the Neo Geo iterations, at least, or I think there was two of them, uh, the Neo SD, and it's like a four or five hundred dollar cartridge is the thing because these things are expensive, and that's wow. the most expensive. The thing is, though, uh, these Neo Geo games, they are a cheap one. I think might be a hundred dollars. Gotcha. Wow, that's that's pricey, but I mean. It seems like they are becoming more of a respected company and like trusted and make good products. So oh, they absolutely do. Could be worth it. Yeah, could be worth it. Yeah, I think uh, we can kind of take this uh, this last question here and uh, then hop out of here. What do you think? Sure, that sounds good to me, man. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, how do you feel about the fake jailbreak scams like for iOS or Xbox, PS3, PS4, etc.? I think you should never pay for a jailbreak or some kind of a hack, first of all. Um, most likely it's a scam and most likely, you know, if it's not, then it's just bad ethic, from, you know, just general community history. It's just not something you want to do or trust. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it could possibly be good. Um, I don't. I don't know how they can be justified at all, personally. Yeah. Um, unless you are the person who's trying to make money off that. But even so, I think you, what you know is scummy. I, I find a lot of those things to be funny as well, too, because it's really obvious that they're fake. Um, I also did a video covering some Xbox 360 and Xbox One jailbreaks, so to speak, um, and it was funny how fake they were. But yeah, no, they're completely horrible and scummy, and don't do it. Uh, now, when you're saying you should never pay for a hack of some kind, do you mean? Um, don't pay for the hack itself or don't even pay for like the service. Like if someone was charging $10 for a root or a jailbreak um, to do it to your I device. Think, I think a service is fine um, within a reasonable price. But that's, you know, up to each person. But a service is providing something. There are people out there that don't want to risk it. They don't want to. I mean, I, I've had people come to me and say, look, this could be easy, I get it, but I want you to do this. I know you for this. Please do this for me. Um, so that there's value there. But I personally, maybe you have, but I've never seen a, a hack or an exploit that's come out that's been directly paid for uh, or you know, have a, a cost associated with it. I don't mean having to buy like a, a game off the Nintendo eShop or some other marketplace to accomplish the exploit but actually directly paying for the hack or exploit itself. I've never seen one that was worth it or that wasn't stealing someone else's work or that wasn't a complete scam. Uh, question, because I, I guess this would, when you're saying um, you haven't seen one that was paid for, I'm thinking of this kind of in a way, but did you ever hear about, or did you follow the True Blue dongles for PS3? 
Oh, that sounds really familiar, but refresh my mind. So prior to actual custom firmware and such coming out on the PS3, what Cobra, and Cobra was responsible for this, um, Cobra had ended up making true blue dongles where it utilized a few exploits. And what you had to do was you had to buy a USB dongle or you could flash it yourself, I guess. But the intent was you buy a USB dongle from them and they were trying to control everything. So you buy it, you put it into your PS3, it would run whatever exploit code it needed. And then you were able to play pirated games on there. But you couldn't just play a ripped game. You had to play a dongle version of the game. So it would be labeled like TB or Blue or True Blue. Um, of course, once the jailbreaks were widely available after um, Geohot you know, took his crack at it, then all of that was dissolved and there was no need for it. But that was directly monetized. Well, and I don't think that's inherently bad. That reminds me a bit about the Gateway 3DS, which I don't think was inherently bad. Mm -hmm. um, if these products are providing something, even if what, what I think would be scummy is if there is open source code and these vendors take that open source code with no contribution back, no monetary, you know, anything back to the original developers, if they use that and make their money off that, that's getting to a pretty scummy area. But if there's nothing out there yet, if they're developing this on their own and they're charging for it, I don't think there's anything technically wrong with that. Interesting. Um, it is the, you know, out of the kindness in people's hearts that they release this code to the public usually. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't need to do that. There's a lot of time, energy, potentially money spent cracking some of this stuff. You don't need to give it away, but they do. That's also something that you might feel is worth charging for. So there was nothing technically, uh, none of the hardware with the Gateway 3DS was required for anything they did, at least not through most of its lifetime. And I still don't think there was anything technically wrong about that. The market will decide if, you know, exploits from the community come out and they're better and the development is more rapid because it's open source or what have you, the market will decide. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? So it's funny because you were, I guess if there's, it almost seems like a issue of there's not... They weren't directly, because like even with Trubu, they weren't directly selling it. It's not, it's not like they weren't selling um, pirate games on there, um, but they were selling, you know, the direct thing. They were pay locking it behind a paywall that allowed you to play that stuff. I think that, see, for whatever reason, that seems scummy to me. Um, with Gateway, they went both ways. Um, Gateway was able to, I actually am one of the few people I truly liked Gateway 3DS. Um, and then they did that scummy thing where at the time it's kind of, this is the only option that's available. We kind of have to pay for it, whatever. Um, there was what, uh, even just with flashcards on itself, you can kind of argue that as well too, with like even DS flashcards, even though you don't really think of it all too much. Um, but when it comes to the Gateway 3DS and even the True Blue, that was the only option that was available at the time. Some people did it. They enjoyed it for whatever it was. Something better came to the market. PS3, we saw free stuff. Um, even Gateway, they did do the scumbag thing you talked about, though. 
because Gateway was available. It was the only option. It was pretty good for what it was, honestly. They were slow in development. But then they ended up going to the dark side. We're not only with the Brickway thing that people are mentioning here, um, but when it comes to um, other measures as well, too. Uh, what was it? They took you know that open source online loader hacks code and they ended up rewriting it and integrating it into their system and not giving the original developers any sort of credit. And if anything, they made it worse because they made it super convoluted, super messy when it was already kind of a convoluted three-hour process. So they somehow managed to make it worse and just completely stole the free efforts that were out there and didn't credit anything. Uh -huh. And I believe it, there was also the DS Supercard 2 um, where they very noticeably just forked, it may have been Raynand, um, and just was running a very slightly modified version of Raynand for their supposed custom firmware they developed for the DS Supercard 2. Um, um, was this 3DS then? Because you said Raynand. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I, that might have actually been Gateway. Mm -hmm. No, the Supercard 2. Really? Uh, yeah. So, might be able to find something. Hmm. No, because I thought uh, Gateway was doing that where uh, there were several companies that were... Because that was how the Brickway thing was happening. Oh, try not to move that. That's how the Brickway thing was happening, where um, Gateway was taking... Um, what the hell was it? Uh, well, not Gateway, but other companies were taking Gateway's code and kind of just reshaping it into whatever they had, like MT Card and a few other people did that. So then if you ran any Gateway version that was higher um, on a clone cartridge that was not a true Gateway cartridge, then it would brick. Yeah, no, this is a... Uh, because they weren't using... So DS Supercard was not using um, any of the Gateway's code. Specifically, like we're using the exploits from the community and the custom firmware for the community, and then locked it behind a paywall in a weird, similar way that Gateway did. Mm -hmm. I sent you a link there, and if you uh, scroll down, uh, you see a little bit of discussion on it. Um, Raynand actually, or Ray, did put a watermark in her custom firmware, which was very easily traceable in the binaries for the supercard. Interesting. I did um, not. I did not know about this. All right. Yep. So um, another example of what I think is scummy. I mean, if the code is out there, make some decent contributions. Um, I don't know if this was a GPL or not, um, so I can't say if they were really technically supposed to release the source code. I think Raynand is GPL, though. So okay. by law, they, I think they were supposed to release the source code on this. Mm -hmm. And they haven't still, I don't believe. Yeah, and they're not going to. I think the Gateway project yep. is pretty much dead at this point, isn't it? Well, this is Supercard. Oh, Supercard, my bad. I'm still stuck on Gateway. Right. Um, and in fact, Raynand is licensed with the GPL version 3.0, which means if they release any public software, which they have with the Supercard, they by law are supposed to release the source code along with it and any modifications that they have made. The downside about that is the only way to enforce this is to sue them, which can be more effort and more money than it's worth. That's Especially true. for someone like Ray that is just probably may, may not even care. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I doubt he did. It's, it's, it's kind of a bummer <laughs> to mm -hmm. see from the outside. It is, it is. I can understand that. 
Yeah. Either way, though, no. Thanks for actually showing me that because I had no idea. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I'll even I'll drop a link to the thread in the chat. So people have some good reading before they leave. Yeah. Um, it's I mean it's not too crazy. I think it goes on for several pages. This is the main thread for the uh, the custom firmware for the SuperCard DS2 Plus. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a long enough name. Perfect name. Yeah, I never even, I never followed this card at all, so I did not know about that. Yeah, I never got one. I wasn't that interested. It seemed kind of like a hack job, to be honest. Most things were. And also, this was this was June of 2016, so by that, yeah, no, Arm9 Loader Hacks and all that was out at that point. You didn't need a card. Yeah, there was nothing really appealing about it. It seemed like they were riding the coattails of some of the gateway stuff, and it just wasn't that great. And it was supposed to have, like, DS and 3DS emulation in one, I believe, but mm -hmm. I never got that into it and had some other problems, and it just, yeah, it was not my cup of tea. At this point, we had custom firmware going just fine. So mm -hmm. uh, this I did like my original DS2 um, for the for the DS. This was probably around the time, though, where uh, there were a bunch of people who were lagging behind who were on their game. And understandably, like, you know, they spent money. They had they didn't want to convert all their games over and stuff um, or all their saves. But um, they had, you know, these flashcards and they didn't want to go over to Arm9 Loader Hacks or any other sort of different custom firmware, so to speak. Um, so there was kind of like that laggard audience there. But now, especially at this point, even like months after that, it got to the point where it's like, look, if you're still sticking to your gateway card, you're going to get left in the dust when it comes to these developments. Yeah, and it was tough, and I went through the pain of converting stuff, but I did see people up until just a couple months ago that still talked about how they used it, and it was fine for them. And if it still works for you... For Gateway, great. you're saying, or Supercard? Mm -hmm. Gateway. Okay. Yeah, I think now Gateway um, doesn't work on the latest firmware, if I remember correctly. It's very possible <laughs> that they finally fell behind, because they were talking about the ARM9 loader hack stuff, and they had released a couple incremental things just to uh, support the new updates that were coming out, but they may have just totally... And, yeah, no, it looks like uh, the last compatible firmware that Gateway worked with, um, well, the last compatible um, NAND, uh, ImmuNAND Immu firmware was uh, 11.2. So if you have the latest Gateway firmware, you cannot go anything higher than 11.2. And I believe we just got 11.6. We did. So yeah. definitely a little bit behind. <laughs> Anyways, I think we're uh, I think we're good at this point now. What do you think? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm hungry. Me too. I've had this soylent sitting here, and I haven't even opened it up. So I'll probably drink that here soon and get all the metadata. Oh, done. <laughs> but that's the beauty of space food is that you don't like you could just drink it while we're podcasting. That's true, but I also didn't want to be, you know, drinking while we were podcasting, so hey. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, hopefully you all uh, enjoyed this. Sorry if I I felt like I was a little bit lackluster near the end here, probably the last like 20 minutes or so, and that's just because I'm tired and hungry. I don't really have any other excuse. Uh but anyways, this is Mr. Mario 
signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, you know, we have a few avenues down below where you can check us out on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we have a Facebook page where, you know, kind of update a few things on there as well, too. Uh, if you enjoyed Devin on here as co-host, you can go ahead and follow him on Twitter. His link will be down below in the YouTube description on all this stuff. Uh, and then also myself, if you're wanting to communicate with me, uh, my social media stuff is down below in the description. I also have a Discord as well, too, which you can join if you are so inclined. Um, when it comes down to it, I think that's about it, isn't it? Or do you have anything else you want to say? No. Uh, if you want to hit me up at any point, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter, and I am in the Discord. I'm not um, I'm not always actually hanging out, but you can definitely ping me if you want to grab my attention for something. So, Absolutely. So yeah, Devin, thank you very much for uh, co-hosting another episode with me. It's been a pleasure having you on, and it's uh, awesome having you as the co-host on here. Thanks, man. It's been a blast so far. So there's going to be many more to come. Many more. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone.